Welcome to On, on, on the Line, a podcast by The Fisherman, where men talk about the ups and downs of just what it means to be a Christian man in today's crazy world. So, get ready to cast your nets out into the virtual deep. Here's your host, Matt Hicks. Who are you? What are you doing here? I've come here for you. Well, what do you want? I'm busy. I've got things to do. Like what? What do you mean, what? Things! Tell me, what are you searching for? Uh, well, let me tell you a little something. I just so happen to be broken. So, you could say, I'm looking for healing. Hmm. I have indeed come to the right home. Follow me, my son. Learn from me. For I will show you a better way. Uh, so you're Italian. <laughs> me too. I bet your mama cooked good, too. <laughs> you lived only a few decades ago, is that right? And what's this stigmata business? Healings? Hmm. Okay. You've captured my curiosity. Tell me more, you little friar, you. As a matter of fact, I have a lot to tell you. Let's begin. And welcome to episode number deuce of On the Line. I am Matt Hicks, and I will be your trusty adventure guide, where today we're going to jump back in the time machine 22 years. And while I don't want this podcast to be just about me, I want to bring other Christian stories to light. I do want you, my lovely listeners, to get an idea of through what lens I bring you these stories. So I feel it fitting to go back in time and describe my own reversion to the faith. And I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Because ultimately, my story is not about me. It never was about me. It was about who, class? That's right. Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, I would just be a selfish so-and-so if I hung on to this story of mine and what he did for me, through me, to me, way back when, and just kept it all to myself. Okay, so as we get started, we need to lay a little bit of groundwork. We need to establish some basics of faith um, so we can put things into a broader context. So briefly, who are the saints? For my non-Catholic listeners and for my poorly instructed Catholic listeners, who are the saints, the holy ones of God? Not the Latter-day Saints. That is a podcast for another day. Well, in short, the saints are anyone and everyone that is currently now in heaven enjoying the beatific vision. With certainty, we can say these things Certainly, might be your grandma, might be somebody from a thousand years ago, but the Catholic Church has a way of actually naming and determining saints, 
And basically it requires miracles uh, after the death of this person, investigations, and it's a whole long complicated process that I'm not going to go into. But suffice it to say, it is not just simply saying, ooh, we think this person was good, they're dead, and we're going to name them a saint. No, no, no. There's a whole investigation that goes into it, again, requiring miracles and all kinds of stuff. And that is absolutely the case with the individual that I introduced in the first part of this podcast, whom I was having an internal dialogue with, and that would be St. Pio of Pietrocina, also commonly known as Padre Pio. Uh, ironically enough, um, when he first came into my life, he wasn't a saint. He wasn't declared a saint until June of 2002. So this took place several months before that, when a time when I had no idea about who this guy was, beatification, canonization, uh, and nothing like that. In fact, how I learned more about this guy to date myself would have been a Yahoo search. I'm not even sure that Google was around back then. But I knew enough about the saints, as distant and full of dust to me as they were, to take them seriously. And so... When one came into my living room in the form of a statue, I took a few minutes to think. I was smart enough to know Bible passages such as Revelation 8.3, the prayers of the saints rise up before God, and then God acts on the earth. Okay, I knew passages such as Hebrews 12.1, quote, the saints are a cloud of witnesses. And if I'm to believe that 1 Timothy 2 is correct, when Timothy commands the Christians to pray for each other, then James 5.16 also must be correct when he says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective and, oh my goodness, if someone is actually in heaven, wouldn't their prayer be righteous and efficacious and worth asking for? Yes, yes, I knew all of these things. I knew that in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says to be imitators of him as he is of Christ. So, yes, be an imitator of Christ, of course. But it's also good and holy and just to be imitators of those who imitate Christ best. And that's who Padre Pio was. Well, <laughs> I didn't know it at the time, but throughout my own investigation, that's who I came to find out that he is. You see, what Padre Pio did for me was he led me to Christ. That's what he did. He led me back to Christ through his church. And most significantly, he put the concept of suffering into a whole new category that was exactly what I needed to hear at that time in my life when I was 18, 19 years old and in an incredible amount of pain. You see, the doctors had confirmed that I had three stress fractures on my L2 vertebrae. I could hardly stand up straight. I had a body cast on from the top of my clavicle all the way down past my belly button that I wore 24 hours a day. 
And while all of my teammates were training and doing gymnastics, which was my sport, I was sitting more often than not laying down because I was in so much pain, not just physical pain, but emotional pain. You see, this wasn't supposed to happen this way. You're supposed to work hard and then good things happen to you, right? I mean, I was a one in 10 Christian. Okay, maybe two, two out of 10 Christian. I didn't kill anybody. And I usually went to church on Sunday. Okay, so that's 20%. I was a 20% Christian and thought that was pretty good. God will surely show me favor. Well, long story short, he did. But he just took a circuitous route to get there. And if God's grace was a car, I got behind the passenger side. And Padre Pio got behind the wheel. And never once did I hear an audible voice There was no burning bush. Nobody came down on a cloud. I was simply at the end of my rope and asked Jesus for help. And then I shut my mouth and I listened. As it says in 1 Kings 19, God wasn't in an earthquake. He was in a still, small voice, an Italian voice. The voice of a man who knew how to suffer. And as I started to read about this man's life and books and movies and anything else I could get my hands on, if there was one thing that was for certain, Padre Pio knew how to get kicked in the teeth and then to get back up and smile and do it for the Lord. And as an 18, 19 year old boy, who had so much ambition, gave me pause. Gave me pause to think about the bigger picture. And maybe, just maybe, there is value and merit in suffering. Not suffering that I bring on myself. We're not over here whipping ourselves with cords. Suffering that comes, even though I've done my best to avoid it, but here it is. You got to deal with it. So you're going to feel sorry for yourself or you're going to take that suffering and unite it with Christ and cooperate with his grace. I had that choice at that time. Padre Pio had the stigmata among many other supernatural gifts. He was a mystic. He was the guy, not me, but I could learn from him. And maybe at that time in my life, I really had a knack for learning from people. As a gymnast, I sought out the best. I sought out the best teammates. I sought out the best coaches and I went there. That's why I left home at 14. That's why I moved to another state at the age of 16, graduated from high school, had my own apartment and all of that kind of stuff because that's where the best were. Well, at this time in my life, I figured I don't have anything to lose. So why not find the best spiritual advice I can get? Why not choose from a guy who who lived just, like I said, a couple of decades past? Because he made a stand. Padre Pio made a stand for what he believed in, even when his own church, our own fallible Catholic church, turned against him. 
In the end, he would be vindicated, of course. But at the time, even his brother priests turned against him and said, you're a fraud. Because we don't understand you're a fraud. No, nobody was telling me at the time that I was a fraud, but goodness, I know they doubted. Same doubt, same doubt, different time, different place, different aspects, same doubt. Oh, no, 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 you can't be healed. Oh, no, 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 you, you, you can't be a successful gymnast. You can't come back from this. This is your lot, and you need to go sit in the corner and deal with it. Golly, they told Padre Pio the same thing. Maybe, maybe not about back pain, but about his faith, about his trust in God and how he lived that out. No, Padre, you can no longer hear confessions. You can no longer say the mass. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants to hear from you. You lock yourself in that little monastery and you shut your mouth. Oh, oh, isn't sin, isn't sin basically a failure to love? And some of us know that so much better than others. Padre Pio's brother priests in small measure and in large measure at times failed to love him. Some of them stuck by him, but some, even in the hierarchy of the church, the people that were supposed to defend him, cast him aside. I had teammates. I had friends. I had family members that said, no, hang up your grips, give it up for no other reason than fear and doubt. The problem is, oftentimes we see other people's success. We see their highlight reel. And we compare our behind the scenes to that highlight reel. And we get jealous. More than jealousy, we get envious. We don't want the other person to have that. My life sucks. Yours can't be better than mine. Oh, don't you know in sport, there's a lot of that. Heck, I'm guilty of a lot of that. But that ain't the Christian way. No, sin is a failure to love well. You know who else knew that besides Padre Pio? A guy named Maximus the Confessor. Sixth century monk, theologian. He was against a little something called monoelitism. It was a heresy. Basically, he was professing the Orthodox Christian faith. And what did they do to him? They cut his tongue out. And that didn't stop him. He wrote letters instead. So what did they do then? They cut his hand off so he couldn't write anymore. I mean, that's determination. That is faith. That is, I don't care what you do to me in this life. I will proclaim the good news. And this is like in the 600s, okay? In Constantinople, in a time and a place where it was not exactly popular to have these beliefs. But he made a stand. And he died for it. And ah, there is another good example of a saint. Speaking of making a stand, think back in your own family. Are you the first Christian in your line of genealogy? Are you the first Catholic? For me, I look back at my own family tree and okay, my great-grandfather was from Sicily. He came over on the boat and brought little more with him than probably a suitcase and a little prayer kneeler 
that my mom still has in our living room today. Ah, but what else did he bring? He brought his Catholic Christian faith. And he brought it with him, and he married my great-grandmother. Well, okay, she happened to also be Italian and Catholic. But nevertheless, they passed it down to my grandmother. My grandmother married my very Protestant grandfather, who later became a deacon in the Catholic Church, passed that faith on to my mom. My mom married my very un-Catholic father, who eventually became Catholic. And here I am today to pass the same faith down to my kids. And I don't mean to make drastic distinctions between Catholic and non-Catholic, but what I do mean to say by that is something so impacted my family members and made such an imprint on their life, er, Christ, that it changed their way of life and changed the way they raised their children. So men, I implore you to make a stand. Make a stand for faith. Whether you're Catholic or not Catholic or whatever, you could be a better follower of Jesus. A better follower of Jesus and not be like I once was and say, I'm a one in two, one in two in 10 Christian. That's 20%. That sucks. Do you know that in John 15, 10, he says, and I quote, if you, can, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Does that mean that if I don't keep his commands, then I won't remain in his love? Do you think 20% of keeping at least the basic 10 commandments where there's a whole another 80% is remaining in his love and keeping his commands. These are the things that we have to ask ourselves, men. These are the things. It's not about us. You know, the most powerful prayer they say that one can pray is, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Because when you're drawing your last breath on your deathbed, and you're gasping for breath, a lot of things are going to be running through your mind. And what you don't want running through there is, did I do enough? Did I do enough for God? Oh, Lord, do I merit eternal life? Please, did I do enough? Well, my brothers, as I have already described, it ain't just about doing. You can't earn your way to heaven. But it does involve some doing. And if we ain't working to build up the kingdom of God, then we're working to destroy it. Even in small, seemingly insignificant ways. For example, my wife and I just had a disagreement, you might say. We went to our own corners. We were pouting. Didn't want to hear from the other person. Don't want to talk to the other person. And by the way, brothers, I don't know about you, but I married another alpha, okay? She has to be right. I have to be right. And let me just say, it makes for some very interesting conversations. So after a while of pouting, maybe the Holy Spirit came and whacked me on the head and said, Matt, you are the leader of this family. You have to show love. She ain't showing love. You better figure out how to bring love back into this house. Oh, but Lord, it's her fault. She, she, she just being, a com she being completely unreasonable, Lord. Oh, really, my son? Oh, really? I didn't put you in charge 
So you can whine and complain all day and then do nothing good in return to heal your marriage. So, like a good follower of Christ, I tuck my tail under and I go back to my wife and I just show love. I don't know about you men, but for me personally, one of my biggest fears in marriage, and I'll be vulnerable here, one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to be a doormat and my wife is going to walk all over me. Walk over me and do a little dance at the same time. But how I fight that, instead of letting that be the winner, and I say, no, I'm the man. You're not going to talk to me like that woman. Get back in the kitchen. I fight that with extra love. Now, that being said, I am going to get my opinion across. It just takes a reformatting. It takes it takes rewording things. It takes, well, maybe here's what I got to say, but I can't say it right now. I'm going to say it later when things have calmed down. Being a doormat would be, I'm just going to keep this to myself and never say anything ever again. No, say it, but maybe not right now is the best time. And maybe you can say it in a little bit different of a way than you would in the heat of the moment. That's just my own little personal battle. Because I know that when I get called home, the Lord's going to quote from his very own scriptures. Sirach 27. Think on your last days. My son, I told you to think on your last days. When you fought with your wife on X date, did you think on your last days? No. You fought anyway, you made things worse, you upset the kids, you upset the neighbors, and now look at you. You didn't think on your last days, you were thinking about yourself. You think I'm going to let you in my house? But, but, I'm, but I'm sorry, Lord, I, I said ten, 10 rosaries that day. Get out of here, is what he's going to say. Because it's not just about doing. You got to do. But you got to do. Oh, brothers. Don't we wish things were easier? Padre Pio said that life is nothing but a continual struggle against oneself. And it does not open to beauty without the price of suffering. Why? Why does it have to be that way? I don't know. All I know is that it is. The Bible speaks of such things. When it talks about metanoia, metanoia, to change, to change one's way of thinking, almost to change your existence, not just to repent, yes, to repent, but to change your way of life. Brothers, my life was changed through suffering when I broke my back 22 years ago. And it was changed through the prayer and the faith that I had developed on that road to recovery and planted seeds for all these years later. You know, it's really easy to pray for something and to say, Lord, help me with this job transfer. But one thing I've been wrestling with lately is it's really hard to ask the Lord for something and to expect an answer, to want an answer. Lord, 
Where should I move? Where should I go? What job should I apply for, Lord? You see, you're not just telling the Lord what to do. You're asking him what you should do, which thereby implies you want an answer. And again, I'm no mystic. I don't talk to burning bushes. So how does the Lord talk to us? We want the Lord to talk to us in a boom, booming, audible voice. And when he doesn't, we assume that he doesn't talk to us. He forgot about us. Or maybe he's not even here. Ah, whatever. I'll just go on and do what I was going to do anyway. But brothers, we have to be smarter than that. We have to objectively remember that A, the Lord does answer prayers, and B, he doesn't do it in the way that we want him to do it. That still small voice that the Bible speaks of is just that. And I'm smart enough to know that it's that way because it's been that way for the last 2,000 years of Christian history And in the times of the Bible before that, it's how God does business. It's not just me. It's not just me that he doesn't speak to audibly, but he does speak. I don't think we would have such a rich history of Christianity if it were otherwise. Oh, those are just nice sentiments. Uh, Those are nice things to believe, but that's not cold, hard reality. That's what the devil sitting on our shoulder has whispered into my ear, whispers into your ear, and has whispered into the ears of the faithful for at least the last 2,000 years and before that. God, Yahweh, Adonai, either he ain't listening or he ain't there. What's the proof? He's not talking to you. But that's just it. He is a God that can make the universe, a God that can make the stars and make things as complicated as trigonometry, geometry, mathematics, physics, all of that kind of crap that I don't understand, then he's smart enough to talk to me in ways that ain't just words. Or maybe they're through other people, which begs the question, what am I listening for? Am I waiting to hear an audible voice? Then I'm going to keep waiting. But if I'm waiting for the silence, if I'm waiting for him to talk through other people and things and learning how to discern that, now we're cooking with grease. Now we're talking. Oh my goodness, the good Lord doth speaketh. And brothers, oh brothers, that is, that is not an easy place to get to. I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe it is for some people, but for your everyday Joe Christian like myself, to be able to listen to actually what's the Lord saying here? Is there a good chance this is the Lord or is this not the Lord? That ain't an easy place to get to and it takes a lot of work. But you got to start somewhere. You, you got to start from somewhere or you don't. And looking at it from that perspective, the you don't is most of those people that we see in the world around us. Look at your life, man. Look at your level of happiness. Look at your level of joy. And more than that, where are you going when, when this world ends? That's why so many of the saints 
especially in the early formation of the church, died such gruesome deaths and could go to their graves proclaiming the goodness of the Lord. Because let me tell you something, if I had any doubt as you were filleting my skin off like St. Bartholomew, I would have sung like a canary and said, I was just kidding. I'm not quite sure this. No, my brothers. Oh, for a period of time longer than this country, the United States has been a country, the history of our early church, our collective Christian church, which was headed by the popes, every one of them died a martyr's death. Every single one of them died a martyr's death for at least the first 300 years of the church, the Christian church. And don't you know that after a while you thought you'd think to yourself, Let's see, the last, oh, every single leader before this died and was killed. Don't you think that there's a good chance they're going to kill me too? And that guy, whoever he was, go back and look at the documents, decided, okay, I'm going to step into this role. Let me put it to you this way. Pope Eusebius died in 310. And if you know your Christian history, In the year 313, Constantine flung open the doors and said, Christianity is legal. It's going to be safe for you guys now. Or at least in theory. And I believe the guy's name was Pope Militiatus, who succeeded Eusebius. And don't you know that he was wiping the sweat off of his brow? Whew! Maybe, just maybe, I'm not going to be martyred like just about every single guy for the last 300 years have been done before me. Nevertheless, brothers, to wrap up this podcast, like it says in Sirach 27, think of your last days or memento mori, as it is so often said. Those early popes, those saints, on down through the century. And don't you know there's both Catholic and non-Catholic alike They're in heaven, yes. And it all depends on how you are living your life through the faith that God has given you and then how well you are loving others. And brothers, please pray for me as I go on to love others better, particularly my wife and my family. May we all strive to do better. And may we constantly seek the intercession of those holy ones that have gone before us. St. Padre Pio, pray for us. Thank you, guys. Y'all be blessed. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you. On the Line is a production of The Fisherman, a holy family ministry. Visit us at holyfamily.live.